Welcome to another Project Read 3 Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that God would use us to restore, rebuild, and renovate communities, and it's our hope that He'll use this sermon to do the same in your life as well. If you want to learn more about Project Read 3 Church or the Project Read 3 Hope Center, you can do so at projectre3.org kicking off last week, uh, simply entitled Pushing Daisies. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to or watch last week's sermon, I, I encourage you to go ahead and do that this week. Um, it's a great introduction to what we're going to be talking about um, over the next few weeks. And, you know, as we were talking, Tim and I were kind of brainstorming um, Thanksgiving series, right? Because we're, this is going to be leading into November. We're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. And uh, Tim, Tim messaged me. He's like, I got a great idea for Thanksgiving series. Let's talk about death. I was like, all right, why not, right? And so um, if this series sucks, you can blame him. And so um, we're going to dive into Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to have you read along with me right now. Um, This is Paul writing to the Romans. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you would pray for me this morning as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We thank you so much for allowing us just another day to wake up come into your house, to sit among friends and family, just to bring all of who we are in here without judgment, without having to dress it up, without having to be somebody we're not, that you've given us a place here at Re3 Church that we can come and be real, to be transparent, to be raw. Whether we're coming off the best weeks of our lives or the worst, Whether we're sitting here this morning and we don't even have any idea how we even got here, God, you have us here for a reason. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities you give us just to, um, man, just to be filled with your spirit. Through song, through conversation, through laughter, through hugs, maybe even through tears, through sharing, and most importantly, through your word. Thank you for that, Lord. Fill us up as we just sung just a few moments ago the old fire, the old oil. That's not good enough for today. Fill us up with the new. Open our hearts and our minds and ears to hear the things that you want us to hear this morning and challenge us in ways, Lord, that will change our lives forever. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. So the series that we're doing is is called Pushing Daisies. And we're looking at this idea of death. And not death in some kind of sick, morbid way, but, but death is in there's Death is a part of natural part of life. And Tim did a great job of introducing that last week as we looked at different areas of our lives, whether it's the seasons, you know, we think about fall and, and, the, and the leaves are falling. And, and, and in order for us to have an amazing spring and flowers and green leaves and all of that, we have to go to trees and, and flowers and bushes. Everything has to go through this almost dying process where they lose part of the old so they can become new again. And that is the perfect imagery of what this series is about. What is it in our life that has to mimic what we're currently in in this physical season here in North Carolina, this fall season, a season of dropping the old so that God can build something new inside of us? And and death is hard. Because when I was thinking about death, and I was thinking about this as I was listening to Timmy's message over the past week and thinking about today, you know, for for me, there's three things that jump out that I think it makes death hard for me. One, it feels unnatural. Like, we don't want things to die. We don't want to die. I mean, you think about it. We take care of our bodies. We, we exercise. We try to eat right. We, do, we take medications. We do all of this. Why? To prolong death right? I mean, it's going to happen. But we try to prolong it as long as we can because it just doesn't feel natural. Yeah, everything else can kind of die. Trees can lose their leaves, all of this kind of stuff. Or, you know, but I shouldn't. But it just feels unnatural. So, so death feels unnatural. Death is painful. 
It is painful when you lose someone that you love, physically, who is there. From a child to a spouse to a grandparent to a friend to a coworker to an aunt, uncle, whoever it may be. That physical death is painful. The death of hopes and dreams, the death of innocence, the death of, of whatever it is that you maybe were working for. There's different areas in our life. It doesn't even have to be the physical kind of um, flesh and bone, but other things in our lives that were once living that are now no longer alive. It hurts. Death is painful. So death, it feels unnatural. It feels painful. And it feels final. Like when something dies, you're just like, it's never going to be again. Man, but but my, I had this dream that I was going to do this and this and this, and, and, and that dream died. I'm never going to have another dream. I'm never going to be able to do anything else. And because one thing dies, we assume everything else in our life is going to die too. So death does. It, it feels unnatural. It feels incredibly painful, and it feels final. So this morning, as... um. We're going to be talking about this idea of dying to self. That's not going to trigger the best emotions. Because you're talking about death. And you're talking about something that feels unnatural, painful, and final. So as we're going to be talking this morning and looking in the scriptures about what it means to die to self, it's not going to make us feel warm and fuzzy, at least immediately. But I think it can. Now, when you go through the scriptures and you look in the Bible, you're, you're not going to find that phrase. You're not going to find something verbatim that says, die to self or death to self. You're, you're just not. But it's implied over and over again. Jesus spoke about it. He, he, Jesus said, if, in order to gain life, you have to lose your life. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily. The cross is a symbol of what? Death. No one in the scriptures, especially the New Testament, spoke more about death than Paul. And Paul was writing, no matter who he was writing to, whether he was writing to the Galatians or the Corinthians or the Romans or the Philippians, Paul constantly spoke about death. In fact, in Philippians 1.21, he says this, For me, to live is Christ and to die is is gain. He uses that imagery over and over and over as he's writing to these churches, as he's writing to these people. He's saying, look, if you truly want to live, you got to die. Like I've learned what it means to die over and over and over. He's telling these people this over and over and over. And this is something that Jesus and Paul understood. But I want you guys to understand this. What they're not saying is this. They're not saying you need to kill Everything about you that makes you, you. That's not it. Tim and I were kind of talking. They didn't want, Paul wasn't talking about kind of a spiritual lobotomy, right? It wasn't that he wanted, they wanted to rewire our brains or change our brains or make us some type of like robot slave Christians. That wasn't it at all. When Jesus and Paul were talking about this idea of dying to self, they didn't want to change who you were. They were just simply saying, look, if you want to truly live, there's got to be some self-denial in your life. You've got to be able to deny yourself some of the things that your earthly self desires. Because Paul and Jesus say, look, if you want to truly live, if you want to live free, You want to live, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is found in Genesis. And when it's pointed out that Adam and Eve were both naked and they had no shame. What an amazing verse. I think since the fall, that's what our souls have been craving for. To get back to a place in our life where we have no shame. But that's freedom. In order to get to that place where we can say, I'm naked and I have no shame, we have to be willing to self-deny some of the things that maybe our sinful earthly body desires or wants. And so when Jesus and Paul are talking to disciples or other churches, 
They're saying, look, if you truly want to follow Christ, if you truly want to be who God has created you to be, you've got to to kill some of that old stuff. The weeds in your life that are taking over the garden of what God wants to plant have got to be getting rid of. And what I want you to understand is this. This whole idea of self-denial, simply put, it just means saying yes to God and others more and saying yes to yourself less. It's that. It is that simple. That is what dying to self means. That is what self-denial is. It's saying yes to God, yes to others more and saying yes to us, to yourself less. Now, what it's not is this. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And those are two totally different things. Because we often feel like, well, if I think less of myself, if I'm, you know, not just humble, but if I'm just kind of like, oh, woe is me, I'm not worthy. That's not what God wants either. You are worthy. Every single one of you are a beautiful masterpiece work of art from God that there has never been anyone and there will never ever be anyone like you ever again. It is not thinking less of yourself It is thinking of yourself less. Because let's face it, Jesus told us in the scriptures, what are the top two commandments? What are they? Love God, love others. There wasn't a third that said love yourself, is it? You know why? Because we're already pretty good at that one, (laughs) right? Jesus didn't have to tell us to love ourselves because let's be honest, I love me some me. Right? Like I, I had that spiritual gift of selfishness. We, we a lot of us do. You know, it's like, what, it, what when am I going to get out of this? What is this going to cost me? Like those are the things that we think about that goes through our minds. And so when Jesus and Paul are talking about this concept of dying to self, this idea of self-denial, they're just simply saying, look, if you want to be who God's created you to be, the world can't revolve around you. It's just simply not about you. I saw this um, amazing example yesterday. I was, um, I was in Denver, and I was at the airport, and I'd gotten to my gate, and I was, I was getting ready to board, and they started calling, you know, boarding, co- you know, whatever they call me. All right, zone one, zone two. And, um, and for some reason, I was in zone three. I'm never in zone three. I'm usually like zone 33. So I was like, wow, zone three. I'm going to get on the plane quick this time, right? I was so excited. And uh, so they called zone one, zone two. And then they said, all right, zone three. And a couple of us got up. And I got up. I was like, look at me. I'm zone three today, right? And so I was kind of proud about this. And then I heard this guy behind me that was said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got one person. And so I kind of stopped and turned. And uh, it was one of these deals where there was a passenger, and she was an elderly lady. And she was sitting down in a chair, and she had a cane, and, and um, she wasn't in the best of health. And a, a young guy showed up. This guy was probably 20, maybe. He was young. He had a wheelchair. And then there was another guy that was with him. Um, he was probably mid-late 20s. And he was, he was the one that was saying, hold up. He was like, can we get her on first? And, of course, me and everybody were like, oh, absolutely, you know. Yeah, well, sure. And so we all kind of stopped. And I watched this guy. And he went over to this older lady, and and he was so gentle with her. And he bent over, and he was like, ma'am, are you doing okay? I'm doing fine. He was like, all right, does anything hurt? Is there anything, you know, I need to watch out for? No, I'm just old and slow, you know. You know, just being real sweet. And he's like, well, ma'am, just hold on to my arm. And he was so gentle with her. And I, and when I say this took 15 minutes, it took 15 minutes. The plane was delayed for this lady. But this guy took every single second and loved on this lady and just helped her up and was just like, yes, ma'am. Oh, are you okay, ma'am? All right, sit right here, ma'am. And I just sat there and I'm like, I, at one point, I'm, I want to be like, is this your grandma? I mean, because he was caring for her so affectionately and so kind. And then um, we end up going down uh, you know, the ramp and, and they're right in front of me. And so we go down the ramp and we get to the door of the plane and there's a little bit of a gap, you know, there's a step. So they can't get the wheelchair over. So again, he stops. All right, ma'am, let me help you up. And the whole time, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And he was like, no, don't apologize. We got all the time in the world. Don't worry about it. And just kept pouring in this woman. I was like, There's, this guy don't have a selfish bone in his body. 
Like, yeah, he's getting paid to be there. He's getting paid to push people through the airport. But he's not getting paid to care, right? And he finished with her, and he made sure she got on the plane and was headed to her seat, and the flight attendants kind of took over, and he turned back around, and, and he got beside me, and I just grabbed his arm. And he looked up at me, and I said, man, I'm going to tell you what. I said, you are really great at your job. And it's because you have an amazingly kind heart. And he just looked at me like kind of stunned that somebody would say that to him. And he started getting a little teary-eyed. And he said, thank you, sir. He said, I love my job. And I said, I don't doubt you do. And then he went on. And I just thought about that. Like that, I don't know. I just think that's what Jesus and Paul had in mind. Like I could have been in a hurry. I could have been in a rush. I could have jumped down and, and whatever. But this guy was like, oh, no, you're not. Hold on. Ain't nobody get on this plane until she does. And he could have just rushed her through it. He could have just you know, helped her get in her chair, kind of whatever, and pushed her down and got her on. He didn't care. He was like, I'm just, this woman is my world right now. And all I want to do is care for this lady. I, was, I sat there on the plane and, as God would have it, she literally sat next to me. <laughs> I, was on one, I was on one side of the aisle, and she was on the other. And I spent the, we didn't talk much, but she would drop her phone or drop her purse or drop her cane. She dropped a lot. And I would just pick it up and hand it to her. And um, I just was like, this is it. This, this is what I just read to you guys when we kicked off this message this morning in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I don't know what this guy's faith background is. He had a lot of tattoos, and he had a big cross on his arm. Who knows what, right? But I'm telling you what, he exemplified the heart of Christ that day, last night. He poured out into this woman and showed what a living sacrifice is. Because you see, that's the crazy oxymoron that Paul throws at us. He's talking about death, but he's also talking about living. He's writing this letter to the Romans and he's talking about sacrifice. We all know what sacrifice is. Usually if you sacrifice something, then the, it's the end game is death, right? They understood that in this culture. They understood what true sacrifices were. We don't have sacrifices in our country anymore. They understood that in this culture with false gods and everything else, they understood what a sacrifice was. So for Paul to say, look, we need to be a sacrifice, if he had just said that, they'd have been like, I get it. We need to just give our whole bodies, give our lives, die. That's our sacrifice. But he didn't. He said, we need to be a living sacrifice. It's not about just giving your life to God and letting that be a period at the end of that sentence. It's about giving your life to God and turning the period into a comma. What are you going to do now that you've given your life to Christ? It's about living, a living sacrifice. If you want to die to yourself, if you want to have self-denial, you've got to kill the things that's holding you back so that you can live. And be a living sacrifice every day of your life. And what I love about it is Paul doesn't just throw out this concept uh, that they've never heard of before. I'm sure this word, these two words have never been put together in their language before. Paul throws out this upside down, backwards concept. You've got to be a living sacrifice. I'm sure as they're reading this letter, they're like, what is he even talking about? And then Paul comes in and tells them how. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Paul is saying, look, you've all got patterns. We've all got patterns, right? We have the, most of us have the same patterns every day. We're going to wake up about the same time. We're probably going to eat the same meal. We're going to go about the same routine. We're going to go to the same job. We're going to talk to the same people. We're going to come home and probably eat the same meals. We kind of always kind of eat, you know, sleep in the same bed. We all have a pattern. Life is about patterns. And Paul said, look, if you want to be a living sacrifice, you cannot conform to the patterns of this world. Whatever this world is telling you, however it's telling you to live, that's not living. 
You've got to die to that. We need a new pattern. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's simply realizing the way I've been doing things may not really be working out the best for me as I'd wanted. Maybe some of the things I've been striving for, maybe it's not worth striving for. Maybe there's false idols. Maybe there's false hope. Maybe there's certain goals that we've put in our life that we've put there and God hasn't. Maybe I just need to hit the reset button. Maybe it's time for a little self-denial. Maybe it's time to kill some of the things in my life that's been choking the life out of me. Maybe it's time I say yes more to God and serving others than serving myself. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because that's one of the big questions, isn't it? What does God want me to do? It's hard to know what God wants you to do when all you care about is what you want to do, right? Well, this is what I want. Isn't, shouldn't that be enough? Maybe it is. Like I said, God's not coming. Jesus and Paul, they weren't talking about not making you you. You have specific gifts and talents. He has, the Bible says, he will give you the desires of your heart. The question is, where are those desires rooted? If they're rooted in you, in selfishness, and I'm going to get what I want, and then everybody else can come in second, you're always going to struggle about what's God's will for my life. You just will. But when we say yes to God more than we say yes to ourselves, it's going to become easier and easier to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is for your life. This morning, there's in the church itself, there may not be a better example of this than missions. Because missions forces you to think about somebody other than yourself. A couple of weeks ago, we took another trip to Jamaica. It was unplanned, so to speak. We didn't have it on the calendar in January. We just had the one in the spring, which is normally when we go. And we had enough people that wanted to go that we decided to do a second trip. And out of this second trip, there was eight of us that went. And five um, first-timers ever to Jamaica to do this trip. And out of the five, two or three had never even been on a mission trip before. And we were able to go and serve for a week, somebody other than ourselves. In just a moment, I'm have a couple of them come up, and we're just going to share just a few moments of what that experience is like. But you're going to hear stories of poverty. I wish J.D. is sick right now, um, or he would have been here this morning to share. But I loved J.D. was just like, I, I told Beth, like, I am so happy I was there for that week with J.D. Because I, and, and I'll say this, I said it to him. J.D.'s a police officer here in Kernersville. And, and those of you who are police officers, former police officers, current police officers, you know how like cold and jaded you can get to the world. J.D. had his world turned upside down. And I was just like, oh, man. Like, I thought I knew poverty. I don't know poverty. Like, I thought I knew hard work. I don't know hard work. Like, I thought I knew people, but I don't really know people. It was beautiful. That couldn't have happened sitting in this pew. He could listen to 52 of the greatest sermons the rest of his life, and he wouldn't have experienced what he did that week in Jamaica. And it doesn't even have to be in Jamaica. It could be over at the Hope Center. It can be at your job. It could be at your school. I mean, somewhere where you care for someone other than yourself. That's what breaks the self-love. 
That's what creates the self-denial. That's what creates this goal of a living sacrifice. So we, I know we have a few of our folks. Tim, if you want to help set up some chairs real quick. Um, if the, some of our Jamaica team is here and they'd like to come up and share, you can kind of step on up. And we're going to just chat for a few moments. I want you to hear from them about what this life looks like. This life of um, self-denial, even if it was for a week. You know, what that looks like. What does a living sacrifice look like in a week? Um, so yeah, Jamaica team, if you want to walk on up, you can. Gail and Mark, y'all coming up? And who else? Sharon, you want to come on up? Danny? <laughs> no, you don't have to come up, Danny. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, grab that one. That's fine. Yeah, so y'all come on up and grab us. We can give our team a round of applause. I mean, they... All right. Well, Mike Murphy, where are you at? You coming up, Mike? Where's he at? Oh, he's at this church. Oh. All right. He's doing real sacrifice. All right. Uh, yeah, sure. Jan's going to run and get Mike. All right. Here's some of the team. So good. We'll leave those two seats for you and Tim. I mean, for you and Mike. And I'll, I'll just kind of stand to the side. All right. Pastor Tim. Are you? Am I? Okay, my bad. There you go. You've lived on the mission field. You've, li- you've spent years of your life living in other countries. But it's been a while since you've been on the mission field or mission trip. Talk about that. What was it like being back on the mission field? Well, the, the analogy I gave our last night probably still stands. So uh, it, this was asked our, our last night in Jamaica and we were debriefing. Like, Tim, what's up? Because you know, it's been eight years. My, my last mission trip for this one was Mexico City 2015. And like Mike alluded to, like my, my life was, I was a missionary. My life was missions for years. Um, and so I said, the, the only thing that can compare it to was, you know, and maybe it's different for some of you, but for me, it's like, if you hadn't eaten steak in eight years, and then all of a sudden you had like a medium rare ribeye, like, why did I stop? <laughs> like, why would I even stop doing this for eight years? Like, I don't even understand. Um, but you know, a lot, life happens. But, but yeah, I mean, it was... This was one of those trips where, where I came back. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm home again. Like, this is, this is part of my DNA. This is part of who I am. It's so easy when you, when you live in America to just to get absorbed by the priorities of America and the values. And you, you get out of that. And you go somewhere else. And you're like, oh, man. I've, <laughs> I, need, I just needed to get out for a little while and detox my soul before I go back in. Yeah. All right. Mike, Welcome. So uh, you want to pass the mic over to Mike? And so, Mike, I, you may have actually been on that 2015 Mexico City trip, possibly. But I know you and Judy have been to, been to Mexico City with me in Mexico a few times. But it's been a while since you've been on a mission trip. About eight years. Okay. Yeah. So About eight years. Sorry. So what was your thoughts? What was your initial thoughts rolling into Jamaica from the, your last mission trip to now? How did it feel? Hot and humid. <laughs> <laughs> I got out of the airplane and he got out of the airport and immediately you start sweating. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. And according to uh, what I understand, the Jamaicans were even complaining it was so hot and humid. Yeah. But it was great being back. Um, I don't know why I wasn't doing it for that long. I guess things just interfered and I hadn't really planned on it. But um, coming back was just uh, amazing and meeting the people. Um, and working with them and, and giving them something they need, um, seeing the sacrifices they have to make, and they don't even seem to realize they're making sacrifices because they, they're. We want to talk about poor. We don't see poor like that in this country, and yet they're they're content. It seems like they're content with their what they have. Uh, and the kids were, were great. They were all play, the kids were playing with us. Uh, I haven't seen that in a long time. Here in this country, every kid seems to have a scheduled play date. <laughs> but uh, there they were just, they just mobbed you. And they were <laughs> hungry for the attention. And, and just a little bit of attention, and they were, they were great. And then they were willing to help, too, which I also found was, was really great. So uh, I came back refreshed, even though I, I sweated my butt off. <laughs> It's the hardest mission trip I've ever been on physically, uh, but it was well worth it, and I definitely plan to go back. 
else? Anything else? We'll just pass it to Sharon real quick. Sharon, this was, is this your sixth time down there? Is that right? Yeah, sixth time. Yeah, so you went two times previously with Jaw Works and TJ and Megan. Um, um, that was from, with more chapels. Right, yeah, um, the other church. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sharon's other church. Now, we have Morris Chapel, TJ and Megan, who run Jaw Works, um, knew Sharon from their previous church that they were at, and you went twice with them. This is your fourth time with Re3. Mm-hmm. Why do you keep going back? Um, I love the people down there, uh, just to see the love they have and such a simple life. Um, they were happy. And I just, I love the area down there. It's so beautiful. It's just, it's where God's uh, put the seed for me to serve other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw that I didn't need as much as I had. And that just, you know, impressed me so much. But, you know, that's what started my Service to God is um, going to Jamaica. Yeah. Went to Jamaica. God planted a seed. And now that seed has grown into an oak tree that we call the Hope Center. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Mark, first mission trip, right? Yeah. And you're you're not like... you're not a homebody. I mean, you're ex-military. You're, you're well-traveled around the world. So you've been to other places. You've, you've served, you know, our country, you know. And, and uh, how was serving that week different? Uh, I guess military was pretty much all around military. You don't get to see the people. Uh, you get to see impoverished areas. You get to see, uh, well, like with Kuwait, you get to see really rich people as well. Um, but there, it's... To, to say that it was tough, when you think of Jamaica, you think of like uh, paradise. And you see tropical vacations and fruit drinks and things like that. Uh, and I expected the humidity. I expected the heat. Uh, what I didn't expect is climbing up a mountain that's basically rubble. And within the rubble is trash. You see tin can lids strewn all over the place. The ladders, you couldn't situate because you had to prop up one side with a cinder block. Uh, There was no even ground. The ground was shifting all the time. Uh, To say that you stumble as you walk up carrying the ladders and stuff is, it's an understatement. Uh, That I did not expect. And the thing I was most pleased with is getting to know the people that we were with too. I mean, there isn't one of us that wasn't a hard worker and some expectations that I had, uh, even expectations of myself, you know, they get overthrown. And when you see everybody working for a common good, I know there were times that one group, the, the last day where you had me, uh, J.D., Gail, and, and Danielle all working on it. It was the hottest day. We didn't have any of the Jamaican helpers. And literally, Danielle would yell at us to, to stop because we'd be beat red, we'd be worn out. There was times that JD would be laying flat, just with a rag on his face, just to cool off. <laughs> Danielle and I took turns. At one point, she says, "Mark, stop! You're red." <laughs> I'm like, but I didn't know it. It's just I'm a I'm a doer. I keep going, and that's the help that I needed. Amazing trip, amazing people. Seeing, being able to help people who have nothing that are so thankful. For what we're doing, it's it's just an amazing thing. Gail, Gail was. Uh, you need the mic, yes. Um, Gail was like the Mother Teresa of uh, of Jamaica. It was like she just stood up, and there's like 20 kids around her, you know, and she's playing with them and loving on them, and met an amazing resident that was like your daughter immediately, you know, and. Speak to that. Speak to the heart of the, the, the residents and the people that we got to know. Because you've been on mission trips. You went to Guatemala. I mean, so, I mean, you were kind of familiar with poverty. You were familiar with, uh, you know, circumstances that are less desirable than ours. Right. But speak to the heart. What, what was it that took you back about this trip? Well, Nicole was the one that I, I guess was kind of like my daughter and her little baby, Zaina. That little girl was a year and two weeks. That's what her mom told me. And I just wanted to squish her. She was just (laughs) the cutest little thing. And after 
I don't know, a few hours of us being there, she finally came to me. And her mom's like, wow, she likes you. And Mark got some of the cutest pictures of us together. And she finally smiled when I was being silly with her. But she just really touched my heart. And it didn't matter where we were working, Nicole would come find us just so that Zaina could see me again. And she would come back to me. And it was just, I'm getting goosebumps right now <laughs> talking about it. But one thing I did want to mention that they, or reiterate, they were always happy and smiling. And I kid you not, I, mean, I think God wanted me to tell you guys this. The eight houses that we worked on, if we put them side by side, I think they would probably just about fit in our sanctuary. That's how small they were. But when you could take a peek inside the door, absolutely clean. They were no dirt on the floor. They left their shoes by the door. No dirt. They had their, I mean, the whole room might just be a bed and a little floor space. And a t they had their TV and their music, though. It was, it was pretty neat. Um, why the kids came to me, I don't know. But I had an 11-year-old come up and just start talking to me and telling me, for some reason, she felt like she needed to tell me that she felt she was going to fail at life. And I'm sitting there, and Mark's giving me the eye like, you need to be working. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought... Easy, drill sergeant. <laughs> yeah. But... That little girl needed me to tell her, oh, no, you've got a good heart. You've got a good mind. I can see that right now, and you're going to do great in life. I felt like I needed to tell her that. She needed to know that she was not going to fail at life. Um, and it come to find out she had the same birthday as me, which was even kind of weirder, if you want to use that word. But all the kids, would, all of a sudden, they just coming to me. I got called uh, Miss. I got called Sister. I got called Whitey. When, I, <laughs> when that happened, I said, you know my name. I am not answering to that. And so then they finally started saying Miss Gale. <laughs> but it was, it was neat. Mark brings the soccer ball, and they come running to me. Why? They're not sharing. They're not sharing. I said, well, you tell them Miss Gale said either they share or that I, I get the ball. And Mike was kind enough to give all these treats and stuff. I said, and they don't get a treat. So they quit coming to me and complaining because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want Miss Gail to get the ball or uh, lose their treat because they loved to get anything. Like they were saying, they just loved any attention that you'd give them. They wanted to do somersaults, flips, cartwheels, everything just for you to, to see and, and praise them. And it was, it was the neatest. It was the neatest. Uh, and I told him I'd go back, but it has to be January. <laughs> <laughs> when hopefully it'll be like the coldest part of the year. So, Yeah, it was, these trips are unique in that, um, and we've done, this is our fifth uh, trip to Jamaica. And um, for those of you who don't know, what we do is we get on there and we install rainwater catchment systems in rural villages in Jamaica. And so what it is, is these villages have no clean water. They have no real access to clean water. They catch rainwater off their rusty roofs into a big barrel, and that's what they use for everything. Drinking, cooking, washing clothes, you name it, that's what they use it for. And so what we do is we go down there and we use PVC guttering and piping and a filtration system. Uh, long story short, um, we install a system that when the rain comes, um, it's filtered through as best as possible. The water eventually goes into a brand new 650-gallon drum that um, we provide for them, and for the first time in their lives, they have pretty clean drinking water. And, um, and the cool thing is, is usually we put this in one house, other houses get to benefit from this also. And so that's the work. I mean, that's, that's, that's the work. I mean, you can put one of these systems up in a few hours if everything goes okay. Uh, most of the time it don't, but we do, our goal is to always do two a day, and we, were, we worked for four days, and we did eight systems, so we got all eight done, um, and that was remarkable. What we don't think about, though, is, I, I preached about this a couple weeks ago, interruptions. You know, God's interruptions are our ministry. And so you, the, 
the rainwater catchment system and giving somebody clean water is the carrot on the end of the stick, right? I mean, who doesn't want to provide clean water for people who have never had clean water? I mean, that's, that's, that's the, you, you've got to, it's, it's a basic human need and a human right, you know? But then we go down there and we meet residents or kids. Tim had, um, uh, you talked about this a little bit last week with the sore back, right? Um, so Tim goes down there, and if you go back and listen to Tim's sermon and watch it, he, he touches on this. Um, he went down there with very bad back. First day was still kind of achy. We did a lot of praying over Tim, and um, the week went on, it got better. What was your back able to do at the end of that week? Uh, well, I was doing push-ups with three kids on my back. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent, but I mean, I mean, logic would tell you that if you go, if you go somewhere new, you're sleeping on an uncomfortable hard bed, you're doing hard manual labor. If your back is already junk, it's going to be more garbage by the end of the week. But it was actually better by the end of the week, and I, and I, th- I do think that was the Lord. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it really didn't. Other than that first Tuesday, it didn't hold me back from doing any of the work. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, at one point on the, the second day, Mark and I were like holding kids up and spinning them around. It was also the day I didn't drink enough water and I <laughs> about vapor locked. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, that, that was, a, that I really do believe that was a miracle of the Lord because there's no way I could have thrown those kids or done pushups with them on my back or even, you know, held a piece of wood up on the ladder like we were doing the, one of those days without my back hurting. So, um, I do think that was a miracle. Yeah. And, and the fact, and we talked on this, like these kids, um, there were guys around. I don't necessarily know if that was these kids' fathers, you know. A lot of these kids, it's just a culture. I mean, the fathers come and go. And for them boys, for, for Mike and, and Tim and Mark, the three of them roughhousing with these kids, playing soccer with these kids, literally in 105, 108 degree weather. Um, I mean, I, I didn't. <laughs> you know, uh, but they did, you know, and, and we talked about these, these kids, when was the last time somebody, they had a male figure that did that with them, them, them boys, letting them be boys and the girls being shown respect from grown men. It was just, it was really touching and something beautiful that we take for granted here in our country that doesn't happen everywhere. Um, Sharon, we get to work with a lot of great people that, we see every time we go, yeah. Decida, Myrna, Waldy, Chevy, Mike. You want to speak to the relationships that we've been able to cultivate and build over these five or six trips we've taken there? Um, they're just great people. they um, very caring. Um, they share their culture with us. Um, I love, you know, they love to be hugged. And it's just, they are just amazing people. And what all do they do for us? Um, they transport us around, um, they feed us, um, they provide whatever we need. Am I missing anything else? They just, they're just there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. Security, they're yes, yes. helping hand. Um, they help us do, when we have a difficult uh, house, they help us yeah. figure it out. Yeah. The best way to do it. And we, you know, Chevy, he's, he's a monkey. Yeah, that guy will climb anywhere. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So they they support us. It's, you know, we support them. Okay. All right. I'll just turn this over to Mike, Gail, and Mark. If anyone's in here and they're questioning, um, and not just Jamaica, but we'll just say missions in general, could they do a mission trip? Should they do a mission trip? What's the benefits of doing a mission trip? What would you tell them? I guess what I'd tell you is um, we all live in our own little silos and we talk about silos in corporate America all the time and how one department won't work with the other department. When you go on a mission trip and you see people who truly have not and they're happy and I don't mean, you know, happy because they got a raise or happy that, you know, they're, they're able to do some, they're just happy in general and you see them having the most impoverished life imaginable. Gail said that they kept the, uh, their houses clean. What she didn't tell you is their house often ended up being a house that's just basically the studs with two-by-fours on the outside. 
It's not like plaster walls on the inside. It's not like lighted. The, you, you'll find instead of seeing Romex wiring or the different things, just two wires, the hot and the neutral, going from one house to the other house, daisy chain probably would fail about 20 different million uh, electrical codes here in the U.S., but this is what they have. And other houses may have just corrugated metal holding up. That's, that's their houses. And when Gail said that they could fit within this, she wasn't lying. And that house may support two families, three families. It, it, it didn't matter. They had a joyous life, a, a, a life that, honestly, I'm envious of. I mean, to have that s simple um, surroundings and simple, yet they're happy. <laughs> the children, like Tim was saying, when Tim said he was exhausted, I, everybody who's seen Timmy, he, he's always, you know, vibrant. And he was sitting there, and he was just <laughs> had his head down, and he could barely lift his head. And it wasn't, it wasn't exhaustion of the spirit. It was just the exhaustion of the labor and the labor of the kids and, and your whole heart going out to them. And just, like I said, it, it was rough conditions. So I thought it was, I thought it was great. He, he forgot to mention that while we were putting up some of these gutters, the live wires were like, <laughs> no, no joke, because the first house, both Mike's and Mark are yelling at me, "Be careful for your head." <laughs> Those are live wires, and so that was kind of kind of scary. And one thing I did want to point out: the first day that we got there, and we unpacked and everything, so we run down to the to the beach. And we're in the water, and I'll go ahead and tell him myself, because I, I fully expect Mike to bring this up in future. <laughs> I, something stung me. It wasn't bad. And the weird thing is, Sharon and I had just talked about jellyfish, and I said, I've never been stung. And the next thing I know is just, and that's about all it felt, was just a little, little touch. And then I kept getting them, and I'm like, Dad, oh, I don't like this. And so I got out. There were no jellyfish. Yeah, that's what they're saying. <laughs> so pretty soon, I won't mention the other names, but a few other people came out. N none of the females like myself, but some of the guys got out because they felt it too. But uh, I asked Nicole a few days later, I said, are, are there like some little tiny things in the water that can kind of sting you? And she said, which I did find out that is like the jellyfish larva that will get you so that's my by the way but Nicole says um I only went to the water one time many years ago and she's what maybe a mile from the from the water and I'm thinking how far we drive just to go to the beach and there she was probably a mile from this most gorgeous water and she'd only been once and I think she said she was 37 or 38 and to think it's there just you could walk there but she, she hadn't so but like they said she was one of the happiest people always coming out and smiling and she would help even holding the baby she was helping get things was quick to bring us coconut oil when we needed it or some, and she even brought it the next day to another house. She was phenomenal. So, you know, it's when we think, oh, darn, I didn't get this or I didn't get that. Just remember these poor people and not even walking, going a mile to the beach. It's like very heartbreaking, yeah. but very rewarding. And we got refueled. Mike was wondering about talking to us about getting refueled. Definitely got it last week. So, Hank just threw up this picture, reminded me. Flip back to that picture real quick, Hank, if you can. So, um, someone uh, before we left, I don't know who it was, uh, donated a thousand dollars to Jamaica for us to buy anything that we needed while we were down there. And so, um, they need ladders desperately, and uh, and so first day. We drop everybody off, and our crew, my, my crew goes, and it's me, Mike, Gail, and Mark, we go looking for ladders. And the first one we come up to is a 40-foot extension ladder, aluminum or metal ladder, you know, two 20-foot sections, 1000 U.S. dollars 
You want to talk about stuff being outrageous down there? They can't afford ladders. And we're just like, we ain't spending $1,000 on one ladder. So Waldy starts calling, calling, trying to figure out where we can go, what we can do. And we eventually track down, we get four ladders for 200 bucks a piece. And so whoever gave the $1,000, you were able to buy four ladders for Waldy and his crew, not just for us to use that week, but for forever. And, um, and so there was 200 bucks left. And um, I guess I made a mistake. I told Waldy, I was like, yeah, we got like 200 bucks left. Waldy's like, oh, do you? And um, so Waldy's like, well, so we drop everybody off. And Waldy tells me, he's like, come here, I, I need to show you something. So we go to this, uh, he pulls up, we hike up this mountain, and there's this uh, one lady that helps us out every time we go, um, uh, Tasha. And she's great. She is awesome. And she, she works with Waldy. And she, he took me to her house. And her house is just like literally a, a quarter maybe of this room. And it's her, her three sons live there. Um, it's a, they've split it up, so it's actually three rooms inside of this little tiny house. Uh, her and one of her sons sleeps in one bed. Um, they have a little like kitchen living area. And then the other room is her two older sons. And, um, and Waldy showed me her older sons, they share a mattress and it's a queen size mattress. And he took me and he showed me, he's like, that's where her boys sleep. And it was a queen size mattress that looked like it was a hundred years old, had this giant hole in the middle of it. I mean, we, we wouldn't even have our dogs lay on this thing. Right. And this is what her two teenage boys sleep on every night. And he was like, we can get her a new mattress for $200. And I was like, let's do it. And so Waldy and I went and bought a new mattress. And that's him and I carrying this mattress on our heads up a hill, uh, up a mountain to Tasha's house. And we surprised her and put it in there. Her boy, And we showed up the next, she didn't know we were doing it. A total surprise. And so it was cool. The next morning, we go pick her up to go to the work site. And she's just beaming. And Waldy's like, what are you smiling about? <laughs> and, and she's like, I think you know. And I mean, that smile never left her face the rest of the trip. And, um, and at the end of it, she said, I don't know who gave me this mattress. It has to be some of y'all. But thank you. Thank you. So whoever gave that money, I want to say thank you. It went to uh, great use. We, we were able to buy four ladders, and a brand new mattress for these two boys. That was cool. Let's see. What's the next picture? See any other pictures? Um, I get my eyes are not good. That's Gail up on um, a ladder, and um, there she is, working hard and drill sergeant, kind of pushing her a little bit, and, you know, that's one of the brand new ladders in the background. There's some of the new ladders we bought. There's Danny up there. Um, any other thing you want to say? You want to come point out? No. Okay. Um, that's some more work that we're doing. So that's, that shows kind of the height, some of the incline that we're on, the, the rocky, uh, dirty conditions. And you see in the background behind Gail there is a tank. That's the kind of tank that we're using to put the water in. Um, is there any more pictures, Hank? I don't know what all Tim gave. So there's a smiling group there. That's part of the PVC guttering that they're cutting, and then they'll put up. There's our crew. Um, this was Nicole's house, right? I think this is the very first house we worked on. Yeah. So that was that we 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 went. And we there was eight of us, so it was natural to split up into two teams of four each day. We mixed up our teams every day, so nobody worked with the same person every single day, kind of thing. But that was our first day put in that system. And and the thing about it, you'll see these windows kind of back over my shoulder. Um, we were having where they wanted to put the 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 tank um, was in a really bad spot. And, but that's where the resident wanted it, so, so be it. So we were having a really hard time getting the pitch right for the water and the piping that it wouldn't cover up her windows. And so we struggled. We worked for hours trying to save her windows. And finally, we couldn't. And, um, and so we had to tell Nicole, we were like, we got to put these, 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 these pipes over. She had like shutter windows. We got to put it over. You're not going to be able to open your windows you know, unless we do something else. And it, like in an instant, she was like, I don't care, shut the windows. And I was like, really? She's like, I'd rather have water than windows. That's the kind of choices these people are having to make. We, we, I told them, like, my only choice is what pair of hey do's I want to wear in the morning. Like, they're having to choose between windows open to get air in 100 degree temperatures or water. 
She's like, I want water. So that's what we did. So that's the tank, and that's what it looks like. This is Chevy. Um, Chevy is the man. And uh, <laughs> this guy can do anything. And he was so, that's his house behind us. He built this house by hand, all by himself. And um, he has the most immaculate yard you'll see in Jamaica. He has fruit trees everywhere. He's a farmer. He's a carpenter. He takes such pride. And when Gail was talking about the cleanliness of the houses, it's not clean by U.S. standards. It's prideful clean. We don't have much, but what we have, we're going to take care of. And Chevy couldn't wait to take Tim and I up there on this mountain and show us his house, to show us his view. And just he was so proud that he built this by hand all by himself. And he's still building. And um, the Chevy is a, a remarkable man. We walked in his house, and he was showing us all the stuff he had done. And on the ceiling of his house, he had Bible verses everywhere. And I said, who painted that? And he said, I did, Mom. He's like, I'm a believer. And I'm like, of course you are, right? Like, you know, and so it was great. Any more pictures there? There's some of the kids that we got to work with um, that wore out Tim and Mike and Mark. There's another house that we worked on. Again, you can kind of tell. I mean, that's a, that's a huge drum. It's 650 gallons. You can kind of see the above kind of how far up it goes. That shows the guttering and piping system that we put in. Um, so that's uh, Chevy in the red, and that's uh, Big Mike on the other side. So uh, we had Big Mike, Old Mike, and Fat Mike. And so that was the, that was the Mike. So it was another one of our teams one day. Um, that was the team of Gail and Tim and Danny and I and one of our little helpers. And that was another tank that we put in on that home. Um, probably the easiest home we did all week. <laughs> and that was still kind of challenging because we had to get up. There's a lot of lob wires and metal roofing. So is that it? All right. So anyhow, this is not a sales pitch for Jamaica. This is not a sales pitch for anything at all except these are examples of living sacrifice. That for a week of their life, they're going to deny their self, deny air conditioning, deny American food, deny the comforts of home, to go and to serve in impoverished communities, to give people a basic human right of water, but to give them more than that, to give them hope. I want to say thank you. This team was amazing. Um, all of them have said we want to go back, and so we may have to do three trips next year. i got so many people <laughs> that want to go. But um, So yeah, so just, just go home and just every day this week read Romans 1, Romans 12, 1 through 2. How are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice? What pattern of this world have you conformed to? And what is God wanting to do to transform that? This could be you next time. It could be you helping Sharon at the Hope Center. It could be you doing something in your school or your job, your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be in another country. You can love people just like that guy did at the Denver airport last night. Through his job, he was a missionary. Through his job, he loved and cared for another human being that had no effect on his life whatsoever. We all can do that. We don't have to go to Jamaica to do that. We can do it where God plants us. We can bloom where we're planted. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, this morning. I thank you so much just for the challenge to be a living sacrifice to deny ourselves, to diet ourselves, to put you first and to put others next. God, way too often we get it mixed up and we put ourselves first and then maybe you and then maybe others last. God, that's not your command. You've called us to love you and to love others, to serve you and to serve others. You've taught us that if we truly want to live. There has to be self-denial. There has to be a living sacrifice. I thank you for this team that took a week of their life and went to Jamaica. I thank you for this church, for Project Re3, the organization, for the people that continue to lift up and support one another 
so that we can go do things like the Hope Center or Jamaica or work camps or whatever. Thank you for just how special this tribe is, how special this missional community is. It's unlike anything else on earth, and I thank you for that, God. Let us always say yes when you tell us to go. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.